Welcome to your weekly UAS news update, the place where you don't get your news two weeks late. This is the week of February 7th, 2022. We get four topics this week. The first one is the Super Bowl TFR. We actually have Kevin Morris from the FA talking about the, the Super Bowl TFR and everything that's involved with it. Uh, we also have another guest from PayPixel, uh, Bobby Quinn, who's the uh, CEO of PayPixel. This is a new software that you may have heard about or may not, and hopefully we can give you more information. Uh, they're releasing some really cool information this week. We also have an update from our friends at the Drone Service Provider Alliance. They've been pretty busy and I have a full list of uh, things that I want to talk about that they've been working on to help us as an industry. And then lastly, we'll talk about the Drone Racing League that's having a tournament and you can actually win some money. So let's get to it. All right, in the next segment this week, we're talking about the TFR Super Bowl. And who better to talk about the TFR Super Bowl than the FA drone guy himself, Kevin Morris. Kevin, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on, Greg. I feel like we've been trying to get on the show and connect for quite a while. So here we go. I'm excited. Yes, we have. And, and there will be more because this is a short discussion. I want to talk about the TFR, but there are so many more topics that we need to talk about in the drone world. And uh, so I really appreciate your time. Uh, t tell us, tell us about this Super Bowl uh, restriction. Who does it apply to? Does it apply to anyone who's going to be flying their drones there? Small drones, big drones? Who, who, who's, uh, who's affected here? Yeah, I think the easiest answer for me to, to go with is it applies to all aircraft. Uh, so our temporary flight restriction that will go up on Super Bowl Sunday uh, starts at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific time. Uh, and that's going to be a one mile radius around SoFi Stadium. And that's going to restrict uh, aircraft from operating in the area at that time. Uh, the next one that goes into effect just sort of expands that one mile radius. That starts at 2.30 p.m. Pacific time, where it's going to go out to a 30 mile radius, uh, restricting aircraft from operating it. There's kind of an outer and an inner core but what it boils down to is that if you're going to fly in that temporary flight restricted area, you'll need authorization to do so. And that authorization applies to drones, it applies to commercial aircraft, it applies to all aircraft in that area. So let's assume that someone is flying their drone. How, um, how would they get that information to them if they're not watching the show? How do, how do people get information about uh, flying in different airspace? So the, the number one thing we tell everyone is that uh, whether you use our Before You Fly app or you use a, a, a Lance UAS service supplier app, uh, check the airspace before you fly. And this is just, regardless of Super Bowl TFR, always check the airspace because TFRs uh, can show up, maybe not when you're expecting them to. Uh, so it's always a good idea to check that airspace prior to flight. And the, the apps, whether it's a UAS service supplier or it's our before you fly up, will explain what any restrictions are and also give you information on what you need to do to comply with the rule to fly in. Yep. Can you give can you give examples of uh, TFRs that uh, other TFRs other than the Super Bowl that people may, may be able to see on those apps? Sure. Uh, so the FAA issues TFRs for a, a, a variety of reasons, not a whole laundry list, but certainly some of the bigger ones that we talk about of uh, the president of the United States visiting uh, a city uh, or a smaller town, there will be a temporary flight restriction that goes up over that. Um, we have sort of what's called, a, a lot of people refer to it as a stadium TFR, uh, and that goes up around certain sporting events with seating capacities of 30,000 or more. Uh, so those could be TFRs. You can see TFRs for other types of aviation hazards. Uh, there might be some uh, mining happening in, in part of your state where they're blasting holes in the sides of mountains. 
they could put temporary flight restrictions for that. Uh, space shuttle launches back in the day, and now sort of rocket launches, there'll be flight restrictions that go up for that. So the, really the restrictions exist, um, and they're, they're temporary, hence the name, temporary flight restriction, for a limited time to protect a particular event that's happening. Yeah, and these can pop at any time, so make sure that you check these apps before you, uh, be, before you fly, before you fly being the app. Um, is there a restriction on the day before the event? Because we saw that last year at the, uh, the Super Bowl in Tampa. Is it the same thing this year in, in California? So in, in Tampa, the, the NFL experience, which is kind of the, the, the event leading up to the Super Bowl, um, was outdoors. And so it was in the Riverwalk area of Tampa. And so there was a flight restriction over that particular area just because the number of people, just the sheer number of people they were expecting at that event outdoors. Here in Los Angeles, uh, that event is indoors. Uh, so unlike Tampa, we will not be having a flight restriction go up prior to Super Bowl Sunday. Gotcha. All right. And for those that may think that it's okay to fly during a TFR, what can they expect? What are the consequences of flying in a TFR if you get caught or when you get caught? So. Great question, and I always answer this by starting off with just don't. <laughs> just make it easier on yourself. Don't fly during a TFR. Um, it's not just the FAA that works sort of the TFR environment. We we uh, cooperate with our security partners both nationally, locally, to ensure the safety and security of this event uh, or, or any event that necessitates a TFR. So somebody flying, again, whether it's a traditional aircraft or a drone in that TFR without authorization, you're looking at potential criminal prosecution, um, confiscation perhaps of your drone, fines in excess of $30,000. So it gets pretty serious pretty quickly uh, if you're flying in a TFR and you're not supposed to be. So going back to what you had mentioned, Greg, always check that airspace before you fly. Yeah. And last year, we, we saw quite a few people actually entering that, uh, that TFR. It was 50 or 60 people, right? Yeah, there was a number of people that we identified flying in the TFR that weren't supposed to. Now, that doesn't mean we issued numerous $30,000 penalties, of course. Uh, there's a process that we follow. We, we take a look at the, the transgressions on an individual basis to see how best to address that afterwards. But I, I can assure you that it wasn't comfortable for anybody that was flying a drone in the TFR, uh, whether it was in Tampa or hopefully not this weekend here in L.A. Yeah, and that's where you are, right? You're in L.A. this weekend? I'm in LA, so I, I have the very fortunate uh, job here in the FAA where I get to travel to some destinations. And being from Minnesota, uh, there's nothing wrong with going to Miami or Tampa or LA in, in the early February <laughs> weeks here. So I, I really am enjoying the time out here. Outstanding. Well, Kevin, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. And anything that we missed? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think the big key takeaways here is don't assume that an airspace you're about to enter is, is open. Um, don't assume that you don't need an authorization. Don't assume that there's no restriction. Um, always, always check. It takes a matter of seconds to check the airspace and guarantee that you'll be on the right side of the regulation and have a fun and safe flight. Absolutely. So if people wanted more information about this TFR, where can they find it? We have a Super Bowl page on our FAA website, faa.gov forward slash Super Bowl. That has all the information on it about the TFR, about drones, about general aviation aircraft, and it's always the latest and most up-to-date information. Outstanding. We'll put a link down in the description for those of you that want to click on that and, uh, and get all your information. Well, Kevin, thanks again. Enjoy the show on, uh, on Sunday, and then we'll, uh, we'll see you hopefully very soon on the show again. 
I appreciate it as always, Greg. Take care. All right. All right, and for our second segment this week, I've got a very exciting guest. Uh, I met Bobby in Vegas in person last year for a convention, and we got to talk about his product, which is called PayPixel. And I'm really excited to have him on the show today because uh, while PayPixel has been busy, uh, they are coming up with a beta version, and, uh, and there's some new information coming out as of today. So, uh, Bobby, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Greg. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us more about PayPixel? Let's say that we have one of our viewers, never heard of it. What does it do and what, uh, what is it trying to solve? Yeah, sure. It's, uh, you can consider PayPixel like a location-based uh, Dropbox that has a paywall built in. So you can send your deliverables to your customer behind a watermark paywall in short. Yeah. And so the, the target is, is drone pilots. Uh, any specific target for, for this uh, software? Yeah, absolutely. So we're first aiming for the, the drone photographers. I, I'm a 13-year aerial photographer myself, and I knew the problems that I faced when I you know, collected the imagery. And the top three problems that I faced were you know, getting new customers, being able to deliver large files, and drone-specific files like 3D models and orthomosaic mapping. Uh, and then getting paid on time once you send your files to your customer. So we built PayPixel to address all of those problems and make it really easy to uh, map and store your location and send all of your files with a single link to your, your customer. So when you say you, the customer doesn't get the final product until you get paid, does that mean that it's watermarked, it's a smaller version of the final product? How does that work from the, from the, the customer perspective? How can they verify that the work meets the, the, the requirements of, uh, of the job? Yeah, that's right. So when the, when the customer gets that deliverable, it's, the images are going to be behind a watermark. The quality is still going to be excellent, so you can see the photos. You're not going to be able to take those photos, so the files are secure. Uh, and then the video is the same thing. We'll have a compressed video. You're not going to see much visible notice, uh, a difference between the original uploaded file. But they'll be watermarked. They won't be able to be downloaded or shared. And then once the customer pays for that imagery, they'll be able to download it, share it, and collaborate with their team members on the back end as well. So you are on a beta version right now. Can anybody join and create an account? How, how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anybody can join. It's free to register, free to use. Uh, it's at app.paypixel.io. Uh, right now, we're trying to stress test the system. Of course, this is a public beta, so not everything is perfect, but we're tweaking based off of user feedback. So the things that we're looking for right now are as many users as we can get in, uh, stress testing the system, uploading files, images, and videos, uh, and then, of course, providing as much feedback as we can get about the product, the features they'd like to see, the bugs they may be noticing. Uh, you know, it helps us clean up the product and make a better one for the crowd. So you mentioned it's free. Is it always going to be free? Is the beta free for right now? What's the, uh, what's the, the licensing agreement? How, how does that work? Sure. Yeah. So we are working on pricing right now. At the moment, it's open. Uh, it's it's free to use for now. We're trying to figure out a freemium service at how much we're going to allow uh, file sizes, maximums, um, project sizes, and their maximums, and you know how many projects a, a user might be able to have. But uh, before we get to that point, we just want to make sure that we have the basis software, something that actually you know people want to use. Um, the the other thing to mention too is this is going to be a plug into a marketplace that we're building out. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, we want to be able to have pilot profiles stored in a 
uh, a schema that's familiar and allows easy ordering. And what we want to do is we want to open up a network that customers can come in quickly without logging in, find pilots on a map, and initiate an order with them. So in one place, they can view their profile, their portfolio, uh, their demo reels, and they can uh, create an order through a web form right there in the profile. Um, so with that, the intention of PayPixel is actually to increase the amount of customers coming in looking for work for a pilot. So that's that's the three things you mentioned early on. You said I, I, you had three issues. The first one was uh, finding work. The second one was sharing the files. And the last one was getting paid. So this should take care of all three of these things, right? That's the hope. Yeah. Yeah. And so in terms of, uh, let's look from the pilot side. The pilot takes the pictures. How does PayPixel in itself fits in the workflow? Is it like Dropbox where you just go and upload your files and then everything gets uploaded to your own server and then and then be, becomes uh, hidden behind a, the paywall? That's correct, yeah. So uh, in my workflow, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get the imagery. I'll do any post-processing on the imagery that I need to do. If I want to add my own internal watermark, you know, down to the bottom, I can do that, uh, color correction, and then I'll get those staged into the customer folder. So in PayPixel, you have project folders, and you can have subfolders as well. So similar to uh, G Drive or Dropbox, you can do the same thing there. You upload the imagery, it's stored on your profile in our cloud. And from that point, it's accessible forever. You can download, you can share, as long as you're the owner of that project. Um, if you decide to deliver uh, a set of imagery to a customer, they take ownership as soon as they pay so they can then download and share. Mm -hmm. The best part is, is the customers also get a dashboard very similar to yours. And that dashboard is unique. Uh, like we said, we're a location enabled Dropbox in a way where when you upload your projects, when you upload your imagery, it automatically gets mapped by taking the EXIF metadata from the images and you can see where all of your images were taken in your portfolio. So it's like a almost like a Zillow dashboard, right? So the customers, when they pay for their imagery, that order will get stored in their dashboard forever. So say they order 10 times from you, they're going to have the 10 points on the map or they ordered from you, they'll see the order history, the invoice history, uh, as will you as the pilot on your end. So if you're like a, a realtor as a, as a customer, then you can basically see all the houses that this specific pilot has taken pictures of. But if you also hired other pilots in different cities, for example, you'd be able to see those as well under your own, under one umbrella. That's correct. Yeah, it, it standardizes your view. You never have to go finding uh, the imagery that you purchased previously, which I've been a customer of aerial imagery as well. And you throw that imagery into a, a flat file system. Your invoice is separated. You have to go back and find it months later, you know, to pull it out. This is an easy way. You can reference the invoice permanently. You can find your, your images and your orders really easily via map, or you can even search the, the tables of, you know, previous orders that you've had. So very user-friendly, intuitive. And in terms of the payment, who handles the payment? Is that done where I can link my bank account, where I can link uh, maybe a PayPal account or or even or, or anything else really to get paid? How does that work? So right now, our pilots are uh, registering with Stripe. Uh, you can connect a, an existing account if you have Stripe, or you can easily set up an account. And you put in your banking information, which is handled by Stripe on the secure end, so we don't deal with that. Yep. But that allows us to pay you directly as soon as the, uh, as soon as the customer pays for their order, it takes uh, two business days, and then that will go to your bank account. Awesome. Well, that's really exciting. Um, what's the next step now? You have the beta right now. You're going to be talking to uh, getting that tested with a bunch of people. What's, uh, what's the next level? 
Uh, the next level for us, of course, we have our, our milestones and our goals to get you know X amount of users in a certain amount of time. Uh, but what we're looking for is to open up the marketplace as fast as possible, where people can come in and start looking for pilots in areas. And you know, we have a a plan for that as well. You know, in, in a marketplace, you have a supply demand issue, where you either have uh, a lot of pilots or no pilots, or a lot of customers and no customers. And, and we have a nice strategy that we're going to be able to uh, to balance that out and, and open the marketplace early, even if there's not thousands of pilots in the national network. And uh, you know, that that that'll be the next step is just is bringing in that extra option where people can come in and find the pilots on the map easily. Yeah, you got to start somewhere, right? So start building that database right now. Well, that's awesome. Anything that we missed that's uh, important for listeners to uh, to look after? Um, You know, not, not right now. Uh, I think that's it. That's outstanding. Well, Bobby, thanks for your time. I hope we uh, get to talk again about this uh, when you go full live and, and have uh, hundreds of thousands of pilots in the system. Thanks, Greg. I appreciate it. All right. Our third story this week is our friends at the Drone Service Provider Alliance. Uh, last night, we actually had a meeting with members, and they gave us an update on everything they've been working on. And let me tell you, the list is actually quite long, but I wanted to share this information, uh, quite frankly, as a shameless plug for uh, the Drone Service Provider Alliance. They provide a lot of help. I can tell you, I talk to them on a regular basis, more than, more than every single week, quite frankly. We talk several times a week about issues that we see from our students. So when you come up to us and you say, my city is trying to do this, my, my state is trying to do this, and it's something not acceptable from a drone perspective, then we typically get involved with the Drone Service Provider Alliance and ask them for help. This is something that they done all over the country. And uh, one of the things that they worked on recently that I actually didn't know was happening was is a, a bill, a Senate bill. It's uh, Senate Bill 868 and Assembly Bill 907 in Wisconsin, where they're trying to prevent any state agencies from using DJI drones. So they've been working on this. The, the bill is not finalized. It's not approved yet, obviously, but they've been, they've been trying to uh, put the word out and, and make sure that this doesn't affect any of the state agency's employees that are using drones. Uh, they've also been working with the Seattle Commission, a film commission for a film permit that was required in Seattle. This actually is an issue that started with our student uh, that uh, brought this to us, and we brought it up to DSPA, and they've been involved with this process. And so have I, actually. We have a meeting coming up to discuss this. Uh, they're also working with the Washington State uh, drone registration fee. This is a proposal from Washington State to have a $15 per aircraft for Part 107 operators uh, as a fee, as an additional fee on top of everything that DFA is requiring. Obviously, this is not something acceptable. Uh, so uh, DSPA has been working pretty, um, well, pretty closely with them, and hopefully they're successful. They're saying that the money would be used to create a UAS position in order to supervise all of this. So they're using... Uh, a, a, a registration fee in this case in order to fund this position. There are other ways to do this, so hopefully they're successful and uh, and we as operators don't have to uh, pay for that. And they're also working with the Oregon State Park. This is Kenji Sugohara, who's the, uh, the, the president of the DSPA. He has been trying to make sure that uh, no unnecessary restrictions are happening in Oregon State Parks. The proposal was to get restrictions on pretty much everywhere except for a few areas where you could actually fly your drone. Instead, Kenji has been trying to flip this on its head and instead of having um, 
only specific areas where you can fly. He wants to have everywhere where you can fly, except for a few places where it makes sense to have drone restrictions because of wildlife, because of uh, a lot of people maybe that are in this area. So uh, hopefully again, he's successful with this and will keep you posted. Uh, the reason why all of this is important, especially the one with state parks, is because we don't want to see these models happening in other states. Uh, models where, well, drones would be prevented from being flown in areas where they should be flying. So. Uh, we'll keep you posted on that uh, again. And the last thing we want to talk about is the DRL, the Drone Racing League, has a, uh, a game, a, a, a racing app that you can use to fly drones. It's free. It's called DRL Arcade. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. And uh, now they're having a, a mobile game tournament. So uh, the finishers in each of those tournaments will receive a prize from the DRL that includes a $250 gift card. They also have an Acon headset and controllers and an, a bunch of other DRL merch. So if you're into uh, doing this kind of of, uh, gaming and you're pretty good at it, make sure that you enter the tournament and then uh, hopefully win some of these gifts. And if you do, please leave in the comment. Let us know if you won something that's uh, pretty exciting. All right, this is all I have for this week. I know this was a pretty long one, but a lot of really important information to share this week. We also have a special podcast episode with the Pixel Drone Show this week, so make sure you check it out. We're actually talking again to Kevin Morris about, well, about the Super Bowl TFR, amongst other things, but we talk about the state of the industry, kind of where the F stands on a bunch of the different issues, confusion that we see in this industry. So uh, please tune in. It was posted yesterday and uh, you can find it on the Pixel Drone Show uh, uh, platform, uh, whether on podcast or on the YouTube channel. So please head over there. We'll put a link down in the description. And as always, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. And uh, because, you know, as unlike other people, we actually turn the comments on on our videos because we do want to hear from you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys next week.